Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the second hour of Ghost Chronicles Radio, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, still am, haven't changed, and with me, my co-host, the lovely blonde bombshell herself, Ann Kerrigan. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Haven't been here in a couple weeks. Sorry. Work. Really? I hadn't noticed. I'm sorry. And more work. Ha, ha, ha. You're funny. You're very funny. Yeah, uh, very, yeah. very so, busy because COVID, whatever. COVID, yeah. I'm sick of, sick of that blame. You can't I am too. dump everything down on COVID. <laughs> Man well, up. They keep having these uh, events, you know, because I work in uh, public access and mm-hmm. the people can't go to them because they still can't gather. So we've become the beloved child and... Uh, because we can live stream stuff. So You're the best. We yeah, the best now, apparently. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the only, just... Actually, the only game in town. Uh, yeah, really, we are, right? <laughs> Before, we were just doo-doo on the shoe. But now, we're, oh, God, people love us. Mm. We anyway. Gifts and thank yous. It's amazing. Wow, look at it's that. Pretty nice to be thanked, let me just tell you. Anyways, uh we're oh, still doing cuckoo. my Google. Yep. On the I hour. There you are. My Google. I got that one uh, for a wedding gift. Wow. Still yep. works a hundred years later. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah, years later. Absolutely. Wow. And uh, getting close to a hundred. But anyways, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's good. And we're still doing uh, the, we're still doing the video broadcast. You can catch some of them. Uh, Ann's put them up on uh, YouTube. Uh, not, I guess we have a channel. We, we never you? push. You know what? We never push that channel. I know. Well, <laughs> what the hell is that? Uh oh, that's the end. Help! Okay, that was interesting. I uh, have no clue what that was, but I think it must have been paranormal. Or Ian was lying and God punished her. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> but anyways, uh, we do have a good show for you tonight. Uh, we are planning to talk about uh, some true experiences that uh, were reported by first responders and also by funeral directors. So uh, I'm excited about that. So. Anyways, uh, hopefully Ben is uh, attempting to get Ian back here. So in the meantime, uh, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, in the Gallant Messier Family Lago, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts. And we're broadcasting live on Tojanet and Pararex Radio. And you can catch us on so many streaming services uh, now it's ridiculous and uh including itunes and vimo and i don't know whatever the heck else there are but uh we're also brought to 
you by our very, very good friends and supporters of Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. And uh, if you're not familiar with that, that is uh, uh, a way you can join us and help support the show. Kind of like a PBS, I guess. Uh, and we give you exclusive content, though, that you can't get on PBS, including... Uh, uh, exclusive interviews, uh, stuff you'll see nowhere, stuff you wish you never saw nowhere. Uh, so anyways, that's all on Patreon. If you become a member, which is like three bucks a month, that's how cheap it is. It's because I'm cheap. Uh, you, I'm back. You get access to it. What the hell is that? Did you hear yourself? I had no idea what happened. All of a sudden, I was gone. You know why? Because... It's so weird. You started talking like uh, a mechanical voice on, uh, you know, the office oh, or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was so weird. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. That's so strange. And then I couldn't pick back up again for some reason. Yeah, but... we had a, we had to dump you because we, we, we couldn't even talk over you. We were just going. Oh, God. Like, that's oh. okay. That, that was I'm sorry. That sorry, was great. I'm sorry, my talking... listeners. I thought it was the uh, Ovilus that we were talking to. <laughs> it really did. It had that Ovilus voice. It was awesome. <laughs> Anyways, so I already described the show, and, and we are going to uh, look at it. So why don't we start off with you? And these are true accounts from uh, first responders and, and on my part, uh, funeral directors. So, uh, Ooh, yeah. Nice, uh, nice, so, Ryan. So I, know. I, will, I will let you start off. Okay. And they, I heard these these gave you shivers up the spine. I was reading these things this afternoon, and I'm like, I these are giving me the creeps. They are <laughs> some of the creepiest accounts I think I've ever read on all the shows we've done, which is a lot because I mean, usually this stuff doesn't really phase me, but this stuff, I'm like, wow. So the first thing I have to say is, so my niece uh, Michelle. She is uh, a, an ER nurse, as well as she has also been a firefighter. And she's seen a lot. She's seen a lot. Mm-hmm. I was trying to get a story out of her. She didn't have a story for me. And I, so, but what she did say to me was something that they do at the hospital. She said, we always crack the door when someone dies or they get stuck in here. Really? She's like, I'm not kidding. (laughs) I'm like, really? I'm like, can you elaborate on that? No. You know? (laughs) Nope. Nope. She's probably working tonight because Mm -hmm. uh, that last part got delivered. I I said, there must be a reason you guys do that. You know, something Mm -hmm. must have happened to make you you say that. But Mm -hmm. she didn't. It's unread. I can see she she didn't read it. So... But I thought that was really interesting. So, hey, ER nurses out there, we have anybody listening. Can you confirm that? Do you do that, too, at your hospital? I can so, tell you other stuff, too. But Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Mm, so crack that door. Yeah. So, but the first. Both, uh, uh, just adding to yep. that, uh, both okay. Steve Parsons uh, worked as a nurse, of course. And oh, yeah. He, he has his stories on that. Sorry. And uh, also Brian the Monk, 
uh, who was, uh, you know, I worked with in my early years, mm-hmm. uh, Franciscan monk, but he also was a nurse and worked in the uh, hospital. And he has some freaking crazy stories, too. Oh, but yeah, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I really can't. I mean, think about how many people die in a hospital and mm-hmm. it's just a part. I, I, yeah, they have to deal with it. But there's got to be a lot of tons and tons of crazy stories. And so one of the reasons, like, we're doing the show tonight, because Ron said, whoa, what should we do tonight? And I'm, well, let me think. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, there she goes. And there goes Anne. Ah, darn it. Well, anyway. All right. So while uh, Anne's going away, I will uh, give you a couple. Now, this these accounts uh, from funeral people who work in funeral homes and they're, they're true accounts. Uh, so. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, so this is called Gone in a Blink of Eye. We had a young man a few weeks ago who passed away suddenly. One night after closing up and hitting the lights, we walked towards the back hallway. As I looked down the hall before heading out the door, I saw a man with dark hair and a dark suit at the end, just standing there. I thought it was the funeral director. Uh, When I blinked, he was gone. The director with me that day had a light gray suit on and had blonde hair. The next day, I went to close the casket in the chapel. Uh, Lo and behold, it was the same gentleman I had seen in the hallway the night before. Two of my coworkers said they had experienced similar events, such as walking past a casket and feeling like they bumped into someone, but no one was there. And this is uh, a true account that was uh, passed on to me. Uh, Actually, it's, it's from a funeral website believe it or not there's another one this is just a a little quick one but just just some of the strange events that occur in funeral homes and uh, this particular uh, person uh, says at least once or twice a week we had to turn off light the attic light in our funeral home we never would turn it on but we would always have to turn it off we were the only ones that had access to the attic but yet the light was always turned on. So not not a real scary one, but just a interesting, uh, interesting little bit. So moving right on uh, to the next one. And this is called uh, An Encounter Too Scary for Even a Ghost Center. I'll be the judge of that. Um, As I sat alone in the kitchen, I heard something. It was only a little sound at first, so I ignored it. But then it came again, louder this time. There was a steep spiral staircase that led to the second floor, winding up from corner of the small kitchen. And it was there where I heard the noises. That's where they were coming from. Assuming it was uh, simply one of those homeowners restless after uh, dropping off their sons off at the institution, I glanced up. Uh, 
it was coming down the stairs. I can't say walking because it wasn't. It was just floating. Even if uh, that isn't the word, it was just coming. Um, coming down the stairs straight at me. It had no eyes, no face. Yet somehow I knew it looked at me, right at me and into the depths of my soul. Then it spoke. I'm not sure how it spoke. I don't think I actually heard anything. So perhaps you use some sort of telepathy. Either way, I can't recall the words to this very day. I can recall the words to this very day. It said, you know what he did to us. <laughs> That's a little freaky one for me. But anyway. All right, so moving on. Hopefully we get Ian back on here because, you know, I don't read a lot of big stuff. This is a little short one, so I can handle that one. Anyways, uh, it's called Buried Alive. I work at a funeral home in Ashland, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, Ashland, Massachusetts. And then one day, my boss heard moaning coming from the prep room. Now, the funeral homes have all different rooms where they prep the body for uh, environment and so forth. When he went into the room, the woman uh, on the slab was alive, really alive. So imagine that she rose from the dead. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing, though. I don't think that's freaky. Yeah, maybe I was wrong. Anyway, uh, another little shot when I'm waiting for Ann, as you can tell. Uh, skid. Of the living, not the dead. As I was pulling out to uh, pulling out my charge, wait a minute. As I was pulling my charge out of the back of a removal van about 2 a.m. in the morning. Okay, a charge is the body, I guess. Okay, so that makes sense. You know, this is funeral talk. What do I know? Uh, as I was pulling out the charge out of the back of my removal van at about two in the morning, I saw three large men around the corner from the side of the mortuary building. I was working alone in heels and a pencil skirt. That's my type of funeral director. Uh, they, uh, the way our mortuary building, funeral home and garage and prep area set up, I was cornered. I left the body half in and out of the van and ran into the prep room and locked the door behind me. I quickly called the cops. I'm sure those guys were probably more scared than I was once they got a close look to see what I was doing. People ask if I was scared of picking up dead bodies. I always say, no, it's the living that can hurt you. The dead ones can't. So anyways, uh, hopefully Ben is still working on getting uh, Ann back for me. But anyway, so yes, she is. Okay, moving right along. I'm trying not to take too long at once because uh, I'm not sure when she comes back and I don't want to. All right. Uh, the other occupants. This is another one. Most nights as we were returning to our quarters from a run, my partner and I would scope the parking lot for vagrants or other people who shouldn't be there uh, before we opened the bay doors. So basically uh, they were picking up a body while looking uh, on more Looking on more than one occasion, we would see a light in the adjacent building on top floor. There would be no lights on, but we would see a light. Figuring someone had gotten inside, we would watch the building 
uh, for more lights, but no other lights ever came on. But on every occasion, a young woman in a dress would come to the window and stare at us. One night after seeing the figure, we got brave and called law enforcement, some of our law enforcement friends from the area to help us search the building. We went into the building that had the light on, expecting to see a vagrant camped out there. The only thing we found was the room, and the room was that it was untouched with dust on the floor. No light bulbs, no sockets. We got the willies and split. We never went back into that building at night. And that's uh, from another funeral home. Anyway, that's freaky. So they would see a light on the building that evidently had no lights, and they would see a woman in the window staring at them uh, when there was nobody there. Could that freak you out? I think it'd be kind of cool, to be honest with you. But what do I know? I'm only a ghost hunter. All right, so moving right along. And let's see what we have here. The old man and his cane. Oh, this sounds interesting. It sounds like the thing on... Uh, uh, Hello. Oh, thank you. Sorry. I don't know what's going on. Mm. You got on a headset or are you on, a, on the computer? I am on a headset. Hmm. Interesting. Sorry. All right. You missed a bunch of my spooky tales. I'm sorry. How yeah. far did I get into my story? Did Nowhere. I get, even get in? No. Okay. All so right. You got a brand new thing. You have a couple of them because I went through a whole pile of them. Oh, my God. Goodness. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. So, well, I don't even know where I left off. Okay. It's uh, just it's, right. we didn't hear anything. You didn't hear anything. Okay. Let me go back to the beginning, and hopefully, I will stay with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Grunt every once in a while, so I know you're still there. Because I just I read the whole thing, and I didn't know. I was gone. All right. So I have all these paranormal experiences from first responders. This yeah, first one. So get into it before we lose from, it. <laughs> I had, it starts with, I had a paramedic supervisor back in the 90s who had 20 years in EMS and had a reputation for being a tough guy with a big heart. He told us a story that raised the hair on the back of my neck one day that I will never forget. In 1981, he was an EMT for a volunteer fire department in a New Hampshire farming community. In this town lived an elderly brother and sister, along with an elderly cousin on a sprawling farm. They were very well liked by the townsfolk, and they would offer a plot of their farmland to anyone for the asking with one simple rule. No matter what they grew, they had to donate one-third of their yield to area food banks. This was just one of the reasons they were so beloved. As they got older, Mary, the sister, became frail with osteoporosis and was admitted to a nursing home. John, her brother, was left to look after the farm. One day, the cousin who lived nearby was unable to reach John by phone and became concerned. He went to the farm and entered the house, where he discovered John in an upstairs bedroom, unconscious, suffering from a stroke, and he immediately called 911. Word of trouble at the farm spread quickly, and soon the siren was blaring, notifying volunteers in the town. The town's police and ambulance raced to the farm, and an ambulance from an adjoining community was also dispatched. My boss was one of the EMTs responding and was familiar with this family. When he arrived, he said he walked into the house and was told to hurry as CPR was underway. 
As he entered the front hall, on his left was a sitting room, and in the room he noticed an elderly woman sitting in a rocking chair, smiling back at him. He thought how happy and peaceful she looked and was a bit odd given what was going on. He then recognized her. It was Mary. They get John to the ambulance and transported him to the hospital where he was pronounced on arrival. As my boss was filling out his report at the nurse's station, he made a comment to one of the staff of how sad it was that Mary was well enough to go home and then have John die like that. The staff member gave him a strange look and asked, what was he talking about? My boss said how great Mary looked at the house. He was then informed that Mary passed away the day before at the nursing home and could not possibly have been at the farm. Oh, wow. Thinking he mistook someone else for Mary, he called. He asked around about who the female was at the house. There were no females during the call. All the responders were male. He then described what she was wearing, including an oversized set of pearls and a pink flowered dress to the staff. The dress was Mary's... And there she goes. And there goes Anne. So... I don't know what Anne is doing today, but evidently it's killing me. All right, so back to me. And I have an interesting one. Uh, it's fairly long. It's called Playing with Fire. Oh, actually, I know this one. Ah, this is an excerpt from a new homeowner of a farmer funeral. Uh, power. And this is the Jacobs Funeral Home in Kokomo, Indiana, which I don't know if you knew this or not, but uh, I actually have some items from this haunted funeral uh, power. So anyways, these are some of the excerpts from uh, a, uh, an article on it. Many people have worked here or rented here have told me of hearing sounds and seeing black shadows during all hours. One of the things that had turned me to wonder about all of this uh, even more was children saying things like a, a black fog in different rooms during the night. So, uh, and apparent, apparently, oh, Anne's back. Hi. Okay. We <laughs> lost you again. I know. Yeah. Finish yep. your story. Oh, it's rather long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how far I got with mine. We got to the, you, I heard you say, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Anne, why don't you put your phone yeah. number into I the, uh, yeah, okay, and then yeah. we can do that. We are coming up to the break in a little while, so, all right, uh, you have a shot one that you could, you could do, and we could go back to that, or uh, actually go to the, the part where you said, where I said, oh, wow, and oh, wow, and then you're fine. Okay. I I think I said, uh, uh, thinking he mistook someone else for Mary, he asked around about who the female was at the house. Did I say that? Yes. Yes, okay. right. He then described what she was wearing. Did I say that? No. Okay. So Mary was, he described what she was wearing, including an oversized set of pearls and a pink flowered dress to the staff. The dress was Mary's favorite. He had no doubt that the pleasant elderly woman who gave him a warm smile was indeed Mary. 
Two days later, my boss and his then-girlfriend decided to attend the wake for John and Mary, which was a double wake and funeral, as Mary was the girlfriend's grade school teacher. As my boss walked into the funeral home, he gazed over at the coffin holding Mary and nearly fainted, for there was Mary wearing her favorite pink flower dress and the oversized pearl necklace, exactly as she wore two days earlier at the farm. Where she wasn't. Right. That's the end of my story. I finally made it. You All did. Through. Oh, my God. Barely. Holy crap. This is crazy. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know what's. And I keep closing Skype down completely, like logging out of it, mm-hmm. closing the app. So I, I don't know. But anyway, anyway. So there I am. Uh, yeah, I don't think I have one short enough that will fit in two minutes. Well, yeah, I've done all I've done all my short ones because I didn't want to wait for you, so I'm pretty much done with those. I've got my long ones next, but uh, anyways, we are coming up to uh, the the break, anyways. And uh, I do want to mention that tickets for uh, Spirit Quest uh, October first to the third are available now. Now we've limited because of all what's going on. We've limited to the uh, number of people that can attend, and we have eleven tickets left. And uh, some of the things we're going to be doing on it, and you're going to be doing a workshop, right? Yes, uh, I'm going to be doing aura aura testers. Is that what I called them? I thought it was uh, a uh, clearing thing or whatever it was. Well, it's yeah, it's part of it's part of it. So it's a uh, uh, <laughs> when you clean when you. Oh my God! I'm having a total brain fart. I guess you are. Oh, You're not having a good night, kid. I don't know. I'm not, yeah, I don't know what's up. I swear to God, this is not logging out because of me. But, yes. I'm doing anyway, a workshop. <laughs> she's doing a workshop. I will be doing the Gypsy uh, wit, uh, gypsy Witch uh, Tarot Card Workshop. And uh, we have a ton of other stuff. We're doing a special ghost hunt with uh, that will be led by Spirit, which is going to be kind of interesting as well. But, anyways, we do have to wrap it up for the break and uh you're listening to ghost chronicles next generation with me mostly (laughs) 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 right here on toji nut and parax radio brought to you by circles of wisdom 386 merrimack street in methuen massachusetts the glant messier family law group 15 high street north andover massachusetts and we'll be right back after the following messages Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Parax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing. 
although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he is a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I am required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. We're back. We're back with Ron and Ann and on Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Sorry for all the interruptions, everybody. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Mm. Uh, maybe Must my, be my ha- haunted, haunted picture. That's what it is. I blame it on my haunted it's picture. You. I yeah, blame my you. Cursed as well. picture. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do. Yep. So now that we're back, so the, the workshop I'm doing is smudge feathers. So when you do smudging, you know, and you burn the sage. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing. Good. Sorry. Anyway, so we'll have that. with all this stuff. Sorry. Have, no problem. Whatever. So uh, let's go on. You have another story for us? Oh, I have so many stories. Well, let's so hear them. We barely okay, got one in. So, <laughs> I know. Well, we'll get in a lot. We'll, we're on the phone now, so we'll do better. So this is about a dead husband who called 911 on behalf of his wife. Nice. So this is. Yeah, I'm a former EMT slash firefighter. One night we got a call to do a wellness check on someone who dialed 911 but didn't respond to the operator. We pull up to the address and the house looks perfectly quaint and a little old lady greets us at the door. We asked her if she knew who placed the call, but she told us that she lived alone since her husband died. We barely got back to the station before a call comes in again, same address as before. So we drive back out, talk to the old lady again, then leave again. And just as we get back to the station, same call, same address, no response. We drive out there again, believing that the little old lady must have been confused. But this time, when we pulled into the driveway, the old lady wasn't at the door to greet us. There was no reply at the door, but it was unlocked. We take a peek inside to find the old lady was on the floor and wasn't breathing. We rushed in to help and got her to a hospital in stable condition. When she woke up in the ambulance, she still claimed that she never called us and that we arrived almost immediately after she had fallen. It was a 15-minute drive to her house from the station. Before she was admitted to the hospital, she asked me and another EMT if we could bring her, her knitting needles and a bag of clothes. And I offered to pick up her stuff because I had a friend who lived in that area and we were going to hang out anyways. I picked up my friend and drove to the lady's house. I ran inside to grab the bag and knitting stuff while my buddy sat in the car. But just as I was leaving, I swear I felt a hand on my back and heard a voice say, thank you. When I got back in the car, my friend asked me, why couldn't the lady's husband bring her stuff to the hospital? I explained that her husband was dead. But when I said, when I said that, my friend said, but I saw an old guy in the window and he smiled and waved at me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> At first, I refused to believe in anything supernatural, so I called the police and asked them to do a sweep of the house. I thought it was a squatter. Nothing was out of the ordinary, and no one was inside. I later brought my friend to visit the lady, and he started describing the old dude who was in the window. 
But the old lady almost immediately started tearing up and said, that's my Harold. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> Sad. Oh, my God. You all right, you want another one? or you want... Yeah, yeah. You want to tell one of yours? Okay. No, nope, let her rip. I uh, ran through a whole bunch of them. So this is, this is a kind of a tragic one, but it has a good ending. Um, I'm a detective and spent some time as an expert on sex crimes and crimes against children. It was the best slash worst assignment I've ever had. One case I had came in at midnight. A young woman with a toddler comes into one of the precincts to report her ex-boyfriend raped her during a custody argument. Long story short, it was legit and one of the most violent and sadistic cases I've ever had. So I'll spare the gruesome details. I still have no idea how this woman made her own way to a precinct with a toddler. Part of the investigation requires me to talk to the toddler. And the victim said the toddler was present for everything. I'm a child forensic interviewer as well. During the interview, the toddler recalls her father becoming angry and hitting the mom. Then the toddler said that the nice woman showed up and she couldn't see past the nice woman. The nice woman held her and told her that they were both going to be safe and sang her a song in a different language. The toddler said the nice woman went over to the front door and knocked on the door. Then the nice woman helped them and their mom to the car before flying away. In the victim's interview, she said that her ex-boyfriend had a knife to her throat and put it to the skin to cut her throat open, but he got distracted for some reason and ran out of the apartment, and she had no explanation why. The suspect was caught about eight hours later, and he confessed to absolutely everything. When I asked him about the knife to the throat, he said this, I was going, I swear to God I was going to cut her throat open, but I thought I heard a knock at the door and thought it was the police. Once I saw it was clear, I ran outside. He's now serving life in prison. The mom and the toddler are safe and doing well. I'd love to know more about the nice woman. Yeah, that was a good story. Yeah. That was a good one. An nice happy story. I know. Well, at the end, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. At the end, it turned out well. But, yeah, somebody was just freaking me out. Mm-hmm. Um, want a shorter one? I have a shorter one. Got a long no, one. take a short one. Ones. Take a All short right. one, then I'll give you one of my longer ones. I did most All of my right. short ones, unfortunately. Okay. Um, this is officers. Uh, witness a little girl vanished in front of them. I remember my father telling me a story of when he was a police officer in New Hampshire. A lot of these are like from this area too, which is interesting. Yeah. One night, dispatch gets a call from someone reporting to have seen a little girl wandering around a lake by herself. That night, my father was on duty and every available police officer responded to try and find this little girl. My father was the first to arrive with his partner. As they exited their car, They slowly start to walk toward the lake. As they near the water, my father's partner hits him on the shoulder and points towards the lake. And there stands this little girl. My father said when he turned to see her standing in the water, every hair on the back of his neck stood up once he saw her. It was 2 a.m. and in November, so it was very cold outside. He said she was in a white nightgown with no shoes standing in the water. They both look at each other knowing that something wasn't right about the situation. They report to dispatch that they found the girl. They walk a little closer, and my father kneels down and holds his arms out and calls for the girl to come to him. The little girl then turns her attention to my father and slowly starts to walk towards him from out of the water. 
As this is happening, another unit pulls up to witness this girl walking up to my father. Just as the little girl is within eight feet of my father, she disappears. And there's nothing left but tiny little footprints in the dirt. They all stand there in disbelief trying to figure out what just happened. And one of the police officers turns and says, how the heck are we going to explain this? (laughs) Oh, my God. Imagine that. There was like four people. Yeah, police officers, too. Yeah. There's like four people that that all saw this. And yeah, and they're all cops, right? I mean, you know your average cop. They don't believe anything. <laughs> At least my friends who are cops, they're like, yeah, that didn't happen. I'm like, okay, uh, whatever. It's crazy. All right, I'll give you a story. Mm-hmm. And then I'll let you give you a little break. And then I, you can go back to it. This is called The Old Man and the Cane. There was an elderly man who came uh, into the funeral home to pick out his own casket. Uh, He told my father that he was terminally ill. This is written by the the son of the director of the funeral home. He uh, Mm -hmm. told my father that he was terminally ill and had about a month to live. The man was very easy to please. He wanted a simple casket, a simple sermon, a few songs, a few loved ones. He did, however, have one strange request. He wanted to be buried with his cane on top of the casket. Uh, He explained to my dad that the men in his family uh, that had died before him all were buried with their cane outside the casket. He made a joke that uh, it was because he would need it when he woke up out of the casket and uh, would go for a walk with Jesus. My father promised (laughs) the man that his wishes would be uh, done and the man left happy. Uh, Sure enough, about a month later, the gentleman passed away, and his funeral went perfectly as planned. He had a sweet, simple service with about 20 close friends and family. A few songs he picked out, and his daughter sang uh, a song for him. Fast forward about an hour after the funeral, and they went to the burial site. It was a nice little area with a handsome gravestone of an angel carved on it. My father gave very strict instructions to the grave digger that uh, the casket be put in first and then the cane placed on top and then the door added. The man said he understood my father and left because he had to uh, prepare for another funeral. The next day, uh, the next day, a man from the cemetery came to the funeral home saying he thinks uh, someone left an item uh, by the grave. It was the man's cane. My father was so upset because he had given strict instructions to to the digger about the placement of the cane and told him that it was important to the man. Uh, My father was very distraught because he felt he had failed in the man's last wishes. Yeah, that kind of sucks. My father uh, took the cane to the office and was uh, going to call a family and ask if they wanted to have it back. And this is when... It all started. Uh-oh. The cane was everywhere. The cane would show uh-huh. up in all the different rooms of the funeral home. We would see it hanging on a doorknob, hanging on a chair, leaning against the wall, in the bathrooms, in the prep room, and on my bed. Because oh, no! <laughs> we knew 
for a fact that the cane was haunted by the old man and did not seem to uh, he did not seem too pleased that he didn't have the cane in his grave. Uh-oh. Wow. That's the end? They That's didn't put it back? I would have nope. dug that sucker up in a heartbeat. There you go. <laughs> Get that grave digger back out here now. Oh, no. God. Yeah, get your ass out of bed. Yeah, right? Hey, screw up. You had one job. <laughs> That's <ahead>. true. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yes. Mm. So I have, this is a good one. I was an EMT for a while. We got a call about someone who was riding their bike at a breakneck speed when they hit a car head first without a helmet. We went over immediately. Despite the fact that it was broad daylight and we were in the middle of suburbia on a Saturday, Nobody even came to check on this poor guy. Seriously, the streets were empty. Usually a massive crowd gathers around a violent accident like this. So his skull was pretty much smashed in and he was unresponsive. It was the worst head injury I'd ever seen. We assessed that he had a major skull fracture, a concussion, and he was bleeding profusely. He was also missing teeth and had a minor road rash, but fortunately he wasn't missing much skin. To give you an idea of how bad it was, this was the kind of injury that most people don't survive. If you did survive, you'd basically be a crippled vegetable. Normally, we would have moved him off the road, but when someone has a head-neck injury, that isn't very safe. My partner, who was also training me as I was still kind of new, went to check his pulse while I began to unload our gear. He crouched down, felt for a pulse for a while, and then stood up and opened his mouth to say something. Suddenly, the guy jumps up. He didn't use his arms to pick himself up. He just jumped to his feet. It startled the two of us. He looked at us, smiled, and attempted to grab his bike. We tried to stop him, but we didn't exactly want to wrestle him to the ground given his condition. He gets away from us and bolts into the woods without his bike. My partner was even more disbelief than I was. He just stared at where the man had run off, mouth agape. Then he turned to me and muttered, he had no effing pulse, man. I asked him if he was sure, and he swore up and down that the biker was clinically dead. We contacted the authorities for assistance, and they sent a search and rescue team into the forest. We don't know if he was found or not, because we normally don't get much information about patients after they go to the professionals. My best guess is that he went to a loved one's house out of confusion. What I found odd about that is head injuries bleed like hell. So you think the guy would have left a long red trail of blood for the cops to follow? That's the end. Oof. That's interesting. Ew. Ew. You yeah. want? Yeah. I have. Uh, let me see. What we got? Forty-four. Uh, I can give you one more if you like. Okay, it's up to you. I okay. I have tons. All right, give me another one then. Good. I got tons. I got tons. I tell you. Uh, I worked as a police officer in a small town in rural Nebraska. Back in the 90s, I was patrolling through town in winter. We had several abandoned houses in town, but one seemed to have the attraction of copper thieves, so we were told to keep an eye on it. I drove by it around 7 p.m. since it sat on a corner lot. Uh, Since it sat on a corner lot, I had a clear view of all four sides of the house. As I drove around the corner, nothing looks out of the ordinary. About two hours later, I drive by again, and the back door is wide open. 
I know that the back door was not open when I drove by it earlier. Looking at the snow on the ground around the house, there were no footprints. So I think, what the hell? I called dispatch, tell them I'm investigating an open door at that address and ask for a county sheriff to start my way. Walk to the open door, pull out my flashlight and shine it inside. The house has obviously been gutted for the most part. The plaster walls have been torn down. There's debris piles everywhere. Since there were no footprints in the snow around the door other than mine, and with all the dust on the floor not showing any footprints, I chalk it up to the wind or maybe the door just opened up on its own. I was about to secure the door when I heard a loud thump come from upstairs and what sounded like kids laughing. So I enter the house and yell out, police department, come downstairs. More of what sounds like kids playing. I tell dispatch that it sounds like there are kids in the house and start making my way through the kitchen into the living room where the stairs are, all the while cautiously cautiously checking the main floor. Two more times I hear something upstairs, but since I've had no response, I start thinking maybe it's an animal. Still, I hear what I swear was kids laughing. I head upstairs and it gets quiet. The upstairs is relatively small with a hallway at the top of the stairs that has one bedroom on the right, one straight ahead at the end of the hall, and a bedroom on the left. As I get to the top of the stairs, I hear a thump in the bedroom to the left. I carefully peek around the door, and it's an empty room with a small pile of plaster and wood debris in the middle. No kidding, sitting on top of the pile of debris was a page torn out of a child's book with a picture of a police officer on it. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. I got out of that room, cleared the other rooms, and got the hell out of there. I told dispatch no one was in the house, locked the back door, and never went back in there again. Ooh. Oh, that is creepy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, imagine by yourself. So by yourself. You. I, I'm not. I'm not scared of doing that. No, and, no, but it you because this is what you do. Yeah, this I suppose. Guys, a cop. Guy's a cop. Yeah, that's he, true. He's probably not. He'd be less scared of a criminal uh-huh. than he would with no one being there. Yeah, I, I suppose. Think. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Uh, I have more. Let's see. Let it go. I had a call to a residence for a mental evaluation or 5150. 5150. Is that that country song? <laughs> Somebody called a po-po. Okay, anyway, I get there and speak to a 50-something-year-old woman who states her 20-something-year-old son is under the influence of an unknown drug and kept repeating that he can't go in his bedroom because there was an old man hanging in his room. She stated she was too scared to go in his room and investigate it for herself because he constantly brings over friends that are drug addicts and is oh, unsure lovely. if his claims were true or not. Right? Yeah. I then go speak to the son, who is clearly under the influence of stimulants. He goes on to tell me that he was told by a spirit not to enter the bedroom because her father, dressed in his military Class A uniform, was hanging in his bedroom. I checked the room out, and of course, nobody was hanging in the room. As I'm in the middle of explaining to the mother that there was nobody in the bedroom, a veteran officer arrives on the scene to assist me. He pulled me aside and stated that, excuse me, earlier in his career, he responded to this residence in that same bedroom, and he had to investigate a suicide by hanging of an older male subject. He didn't recall all the details, so I looked it up in our report management system in my patrol car 
And sure enough, the officer was correct. The subject who died was a World War II veteran and had dressed in his military uniform and hung himself. In my uh. mind, I always thought that, well, yeah, when they purchased the home, possibly this instance was disclosed to them. However, I thought the mother would have mentioned it to me if it had been disclosed to her. She was genuinely concerned about her son and the allegations. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do corpses do at night when they're alone in the morgue? <laughs> I don't know what. A friend, a friend's father is a police officer in one of the larger villages of Illinois. He and his partner were working night shift when they were called to investigate a suspected break-in at the local morgue. They'd arrived to find the custodian waiting out front for them. The custodian said he'd been mopping one of the corridors and had seen something move in his peripheral vision. He looked up and saw a person quickly cross from one side of the hallway to the other. He couldn't tell much about the person as he'd been turning the lights off as he worked his way through the building. Just a dim outline, but enough to be sure of what he'd seen was unarmed, so he called the police and stepped outside to wait. My friend's dad and his partner entered the morgue. They started off by calling out to anyone who might be inside. No answer. Then began to do a sweep, walking down the central corridor with hands on their guns, checking each room to the side, occasionally calling out for any intruder to show themselves. My friend's dad came upon a room with the light off, pitch black inside. He fumbled for the switch and flicked it. The room lit up, nothing but an empty waiting room for relatives of the dead. He heard his partner call out, hey, stop, turn around. Friend's dad swung back out into the corridor, and his partner had unholstered his gun, was pointing it at the end of the long corridor. He said, she went around that corner. The custodian said, she's trapped, there's no exits that way. They had the custodian lock himself in the waiting room for safety, then advanced down the corridor, calling out to the woman to show herself that they wouldn't hurt her. This time, my friend's dad reached the end first, and with his back to the wall, peered around the corner. The woman was standing by a big gray door. Lights were off here, too, so it was hard to see her clearly, but he could see she wasn't holding a gun, had long, fair hair. He stepped out from behind the corner to talk to her, but she opened the door, disappeared into the dark inside, and shut it firmly behind her. He sprinted up to the door and pulled at the handle, and it was locked banged on it for a while and called out to her, but no answer. The door had a deadlock on it, so his partner brought over the custodian to unlock it. They turned on their flashlights to see better. The custodian rounded the corner and halted a little. He said, this door, you sure? This door doesn't lock from the the inside. The custodian found the right key and carefully turned it in the lock. Click, we're coming in, have your hands up. They entered the room, flashlights illuminating every corner. The custodian hit the wall switch and the room lit up. It was empty except for some equipment against the wall and two gurneys in the middle of the room. One was empty and one was covered in a sheet with what appeared to be a body underneath it. Nice hiding spot. My friend's dad approached and it was the smell that first spooked him. It smelled like a corpse. He pulled the sheet down and there the woman lay, straggly light brown hair all around her face. A tag on her toes said she died four days ago. Ugh. Friend's father is a devout Christian, does not believe in ghosts of the supernatural, even now, and doesn't know what to make of this event. Oh, oh no! Mm. Ooh, she's running around. <laughs> she's running around the walk. Yeah, that's crazy. 
So I, I change it up a little bit, and I'm going to okay. call this. I'm going to call this. Uh, you know, you've hired the wrong funeral director. Uh -oh. So you know you've you've hired. These are all true, by the way. Uh, okay. You know you hired hired the wrong funeral director when he was uh, clapping his hand in the church, telling people it's time to go, even uh, because he had another <laughs> service on the other side of town. <laughs> <laughs> you know you hired the wrong funeral director when he was caught taking pictures of the deceased in an open casket in front of the mourning family. Ew. That's weird. Yeah. You know you hired the wrong funeral director when the two of them in the back of the church fell asleep. <laughs> and when the... <laughs> And it was time to remove the body. The, the minister had to come up and wake him up. <laughs> oh, my God. I like that one. Uh, oh, that's not... Oh, wait, wait, oh, 30 <laughs> seconds to what? The bell or the... I'm not sure what we're doing now. Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm not okay. on Skype. Yeah. All right. So... Uh, you know you hired the wrong funeral director when a pre-need salesman was uh, once interrupted a 19-year-old uh, boy, 19-year-old girl who was dressing a stillborn son to uh, ask him if she ever thought of planning her own funeral. So the oh. mother was dressed in the pre-borns. That's yes. gross. Did you ever think of uh, getting your own funeral? Have you got, yeah. Oh, uh, yuck. Uh, oh my God! So, uh, That's nasty. One time, a funeral director was kicking a casket into the ground because it wouldn't fit. <laughs> and God damn it! And the the worst part was the funeral director returned a necklace of the deceased's mother uh, to to her was covered with blood. Oh, no. Uh, yes. Oh. So we'll leave you on those happy notes anyways. Oh, my God. That's terrible. That's uh, awful. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm going to have to save the rest of my stories for the show because I got like another. Oh. I don't hey, even know. Hey, how about the funeral director that uh, was advertising his funeral home by, have you know how you have the people with the signs and, and they hold the sign up outside of the yeah. road? Yeah, the Grim Reaper doing it. A guy dressed yeah. like the Grim Reaper. Oh my God! These are all true stories, by the way. The, oh all, all, the stuff, all the stuff, my previous stories, and these came from uh, a, a funeral director's blog. Uh, so wow, we do have to go. <laughs> we want to thank you for listening, uh, despite our technical problems here. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, anyways. So uh, today's show is brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, in the, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, not the end of Massachusetts. And um, what else we got? Oh, yeah, good friends of Patreon. And speaking about that, next week we are doing a show on your experiences with the Ouija board. Uh, I've already got some neat stories that people have sent me. So uh, we're excited. If you have some and you want to be part of the show, uh, you can either email me or Ann or message us on our Facebook page, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, 
and uh, we'll use them on the air. So there you go. Awesome. So tonight, God bless and stay safe, everyone. Good night, everybody. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.